Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to bring to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And today, we have quite the full slate of news to talk about. We're going to be covering football in the form of Big 12 Media Days, basketball in the terms of Montavious Murphy transferring away, Kansas State basket- baseball, a first on the show, and let's not forget the wacky segment of the week. So let's just go ahead and lead right into Big 12 Media Days. And personally, just takeaways that we all have for it. And for there was a lot of information specifically covered at the K-State portion of it, which is obviously what we'll cover first. And because there's so much of it, we're just kind of going to go through a list of things that we both thought were notable and then say if we believe it is a big deal or not a big deal. Maybe a recurring segment on the show, big deal, not a big deal. So the first thing that we have on our list comes from Chris Kleiman's interviews at the Big 12 Media Days. And Chris Kleiman said that he is leaning into name, image, and likeness in Manhattan, Kansas for a lot of reasons. And Connor, do you think this is a big deal or not a big deal? Um, I'll go with not a big deal, at least in the short term, because I think in the long term, everybody's going to lean into NIL. So it ultimately will end up not being a big deal, but it is reassuring to hear that he's already leaning into it and making a really solid pitch as well. It's exactly the one that I would make if I were him that in Manhattan, you're going to be the talk of the town if you're the football team, especially if you're a star or a high profile local recruit. (laughs) 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 So, Oh, have a frog in your throat there. Yeah. just Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Weird. And then, uh, uh, yeah, it was a great, it was a great uh, uh, pitch by him. It was part, it was part coach speak, but also part recruiting pitch to uh, uh, local recruits and recruits abroad that like may not exactly know what's going on in Manhattan. So yeah, big deal for now. I I would kind of say I'd kind of take the opposite stance of you. I say that it's going to be a big deal specifically because that is going to be a reoccurring pitch over and over again. Because if you like Chris Kleiman said. If you come to Manhattan, there is one main attraction in Manhattan, Kansas, and it is Kansas State Athletics. So you will be the talk of the town. You will be the face of the town. And if you're the face of the town, that probably means that people want to get you for your name, image, and likeness, which just opens up the door to you getting even more popular, getting even more money, even though a lot of the the deals have been relatively small, like getting t-shirts and stuff. But I believe that if you come to Manhattan and the fact that it's being pushed as hard as it is, I think is a massive big deal for recruiting, not only for local kids, but uh, kids all across the, all across the U S that we're recruiting. Yep. You wanna, Ret- retweet, we'll, I guess. <laughs> we'll we'll alternate here. You, you ask me the questions and then I'll go. All right, so the next uh, Big 12 Media Days takeaway we've got going here is uh, um, a quote from uh, Chris Klein. He said, we have two starting QBs in Will Howard and Skylar Thompson. So what do you make of that? Do you think it's a big deal or not a big deal? Because that could be interpreted a, a couple of ways, despite how direct it is. Yeah, it's it's one of those questions. It's one of those answers that's strangely direct. And in how direct it is, it is very indirect. But I'd say for right now, I don't I don't think it's that big a deal because I think they're just going to rock with Skyler this year. 
And I think Will Howard will step into the role next year after Skyler's gone. But for this year, I don't, I don't even really see Will Howard getting in that much on sub packages because Skyler is faster than him. And although Will Howard, I feel, might have a slightly better and more accurate arm, I believe it's marginal, at least from what I saw last year. So there's no real reason or incentive for them to sub out Skyler for Will Howard unless he's hurt or tired. Yeah, um, I, I, I think I agree with you there. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think a lot of people jumped on this quote because they saw student, they saw starting QB and Will Howard in the same sentence, and I don't think it quite means what they think it does and that we're having a two QB system. Like I saw people on Twitter getting a little antsy, like, oh my gosh, we're running a two QB. No, Skyler would not have come no. back for a two QB system. He already did that once and nearly transferred because of it. So I think they, he sees us more as if Skyler goes down again, we have Will after a full off season and like seven and a half games of uh big 12 experience which is very very valuable and i think that's just always saying there is that he has two qbs with starting experience and i i think i think that's great whether you love or hate will howard it's better to have a backup qb that has in-game experience than not and also i'll just briefly briefly touch on uh your point on uh, will howard's accuracy i do agree with you i i think that might be a bit of an unpopular opinion but i do think his accuracy is at least slightly better than Skyler's. And I, I think that most of those interceptions were mainly just decision-making and vision as opposed to actual accuracy. Because like when he was uh, making throws, they generally were on point. They may have been in the triple coverage, but if the defensive backs had not been there, the receiver would have caught the ball. <laughs> and, and I, I, I kind of... I, I wouldn't say that because... I would say Will Howard's accuracy is that he's generally accurate and he makes decent enough decisions. And the problem is with Will Howard was that when he missed, he didn't miss horribly. Whereas with Skyler, I'm thinking of a few deep balls my freshman year that I kind of looked at and I just went, who was who who that for? Yeah, yeah and Skyler, I, I guess we're kind of going off on a separate tangent, but this will be my last point on here. Skyler still kind of has a bit of that issue on deep balls, except it's kind of reversed course, I think, to where he's now kind of under-throwing deep balls a little bit. I think he kind of overcorrected for that, at least last year. One specific uh, memory I have of that is in the uh, the OU game, uh, Keon Mosey ran a wheel route out of the backfield, oh, yeah. and he was wide, 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 wide open. And he probably could have had a touchdown if he was uh, – caught in stride or even kind of in stride but he came to a complete stop to make the catch like 30 yards downfield and he still got a huge gain but it allowed the uh defensive backs to catch up to him yeah and and i don't i don't want to make it sound like we're trashing on skyler because i still think he's probably one of the best quarterbacks in the conference yeah yeah he's after all it's skysman season so yeah he's at least fifth best Uh, probably even better than that honestly like who are you gonna put ahead of him Jalen Daniels? No. <laughs> Cap. 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 <laughs> so, moving on from quarterback talk to the other offensive weapon that K-State has recently been known for, and that is Deuce Vaughn. Now, Chris Kleiman, in his show, or rather his interview, said that he's looking at Deuce Vaughn getting 25 to 30 touches a game. You see that as a big deal or not a big deal? I definitely see that as a big deal, mainly because that is more than I was expecting, especially because K-State does have a pretty good backfield coming into this year. I was thinking Deuce was a guy that was going to get something like 
20 ish at, at the most and if we were in the lead probably 15 to like 18 or 19 but him yeah. saying 25 to 30 that that's pretty interesting to me and i'm wondering if that's because like he's just been even better in the off season or are they just maybe maybe it's just coach speak and he's like trying to like misdirect with that and like hide the development of some of the other running backs i don't know we can overanalyze that quote to, to hell but i i I was definitely surprised to hear him say Deuce getting 25 to 30 because I think the big concern with that is his durability. Although mm-hmm. I think a lot of that maybe is a, a unsubstantiated concern because he hasn't really taken many big hits. Uh, that that was mentioned on the uh, Bosco live show, I believe, as well. But like he, uh, mm-hmm. he hasn't taken many big hits, uh, if any, and he hasn't been hurt either. So 25 to 30 touches. Maybe he can handle it. I mean, he's uh he's short, but he's built like so. I don't know. He's constructed differently. He, yeah, he yeah he's constructed alternatively, built differently. <laughs> His dude's fine. Yeah, I I kind of I don't necessarily lean towards it being a a big big deal, but I would still lean more on the side of it being a big deal, if not for the fact that I don't see the majority of those touches actually being at running back I think he probably gets you know 12 to 13 carries a game maybe more but I see him being motioned out to the slot and flexed out a lot more so I see a lot of his touches being more receiving and I think whenever people hear touches they automatically go to carries so I kind of don't see the durability concerns especially if it plays out how I think it's going to and there's a number of member of the backfield that we have to talk about as well. Yes. Uh, so we have uh, the, the next media day takeaway. Uh, we have um, Coach Kleinman mentioning that Jacardier Wright, uh, now technically a sophomore, I believe, uh, you showed, or actually, he might still be a freshman eligibility. Beside the point, he's young. Uh, Jacardier Wright was yeah. showing flashes out of the backfield this spring. And so, Ace, what do you make of that? Do you think that's a big deal or do you not think it's a big deal? Huge deal because it helps my take that I had at the very beginning of the series that Jacardier Wright was going to be the breakout star for the offense. But aside from it just justifying my take, I think it's a massive deal, if not for the fact that people know that we don't just have Deuce Vaughn. We have a larger runner who can run between the tackles. Not to take away Deuce's ability to run between the tackles because he's very shifty and very good at following his blocks in that way. But we're coming from a system that still was giving a certain member of the backfield consistent snaps, and he would get two yards every single play. It, and it, the fact that that person was still getting consistent snaps shows that we were looking for someone who could run with a bit more power. And the fact that the Jacardier Wright is showing that potential, maybe we won't just get two-yard carries when Deuce isn't in the game. Maybe we'll get four-yard carries whenever Deuce isn't in the game. Yeah, I I agree. I think that this is a very big deal, uh, Jacardier showing flashes out of the backfield, mainly because he did show some flashes in his true freshman season when he started getting snaps after the injury to uh, Joe Irvin uh, caused him to kind of be that uh, third or fourth spell back that, that came into the uh, the game late. And he had a big game, I believe it was against Iowa State. He had a rushing touchdown. And then last year, he I think he had like three carries for 
or like three or four carries like the entire season, which was not at all what I was hoping for. And um, uh, that, that was really discouraging to his development. And I, I was wondering maybe if he was going to transfer, but he stuck around. And now the coaches are raving about him. And he looked pretty solid in the spring game. He had the massive collision with Malachi Mitchell, who has since transferred. And I... Which might be why. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. It was just the humiliation. But uh, uh, Jacardier, uh, I love the idea of him flashing because I... In my my head, when I when I imagine the backfield, I I see a split a split shotgun with Jacardier to the right and Deuce to the left, uh, Thunder and Lightning next to Skylar Thompson, motion Deuce out into the slot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they can do whatever they want out of that that split, and they can even they want they can make that diamond pistol like throw Jackson Dean in there somewhere and just run like molasses sweep short side or something like that. <laughs> Just throw Jackson Ian into a pile of bodies, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where else are you going to put him? Obviously, like, like, just throw him out there. He'll do something. <laughs> yeah, but Jacardia Wright is, according to ESPN, his eligibility is he's still a freshman. Ooh. And his 2019 year, he had 22 carries for 122 yards and one touchdown. And then this last year, he had six carries for 17 yards. Yeah, that that was really discouraging just to see him not touch the ball at all when uh, um, Harry Trotter was out there averaging like 3.2 yards per carry. No disrespect to Harry Trotter because I, I still think he was actually very good. I think it was mainly just a blocking scheme issue. But I'm happy that Jacardier is doing better. And it also is interesting because uh, of uh, Joe Irvin. He's still in that backfield as well. And yeah, but he didn't get a mention, which kind of, hmm. at least I, I don't think he got a mention. He may have. We may I, think, I think he also said that Joe was doing well, but he, that entire segment was really focused on Jacardier. Right. Right. Ha. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, but there's been a lot of talk in K-State circles about transfers and how transfers will contribute. And it, it's been a massive debate, but, one person that Chris Kleiman seemed to do a very decent job, very good job, I should correct myself, of alleviating the concern of whether or not they'll be a contributor is Daniel Bebe. I will continue to call him Bebe because it is much better to me. Obviously. But according to Kleiman, he's really, he's really, really showing out and is him showing out in the practices a big deal or not that big a deal? I think it's a huge deal because uh, I, it gives the younger tight ends, who I think are very promising, gives them a little more time to develop because tight end is a very hard position to transition from level to level, like from high school to college and from college to NFL. Tight ends generally need a couple years. So those younger guys like uh, uh, Connor Fox uh, and Will Swanson, uh, they get a little bit longer to develop into that tight end two role and uh, Nick Lenners can stay in his natural H back role and Sammy Wheeler can be tight end two. And I really, really, really like that matter baby showing out because he has a really high ceiling. Uh, he has an athletic younger or older younger. I, I don't older. know if he's younger or older because like his, his brother was, I believe he was taking the NFL draft, but he may have been, he wasn't drafted, but he was undrafted. Oh, he, he went as a UDFA. Oh, well, he was—he is in the NFL now, and he had like some crazy good vertical leap. 
at a matter yeah. baby he has a very high ceiling and if he can uh, just be another presence in the middle of the field uh, like briley moore was that's going to be really reassuring and then also just be a mature presence in that tight end room uh which is really big for those younger guys uh just like to have a guy in there to be like hey just you know like trust the process like you're gonna get it on the field like like one way or the other <laughs> like i just yeah. like and be patient basically just like that the veteran presence is uh under underrated sometimes yeah i i agree with you i think it's a i think it's a huge deal especially considering how much briley moore contributed to the offense last year because it was almost as if for the majority of the season we had two reliable receivers on our team unfortunately none of them were wide receivers because it was briley moore and deuce vaughn and I think someone stepping in to kind of not necessarily do the exact same thing as Briley Moore, but step into that same role, whether it be in the blocking scheme, which Kleiman says he's doing great blocking, which was an underrated part of Briley Moore's game. A lot of tight ends tend to just kind of want to get in people's way instead of get their hands on them and drive them. And I think that him stepping in and showing out in that role is a big, big deal for the K-State offense, especially... I expect growth in the receiver room, but still having that safety blanket, especially stressing middle linebackers and linebackers in general in picking between Daniel Urmator Bebe and Deuce Vaughn. That's not a choice I envy. Yeah. Like, like I love the idea of, uh, uh, I, I, what, what are we going to nickname him? D.I.? Is that just like for sure? Uh, D.I. works. I mean, Emotor Bebe, I, I like. I think the coach is calling Bebe. I don't know if I want the, to, the, I, the coach is calling Bebe. I don't know if I want to call him that though. I don't know how I feel about it. Why don't I just call him Emo? Alright, we'll just call him we'll just call him Emo. Or Daniel. <laughs> I guess I don't know. But Daniel. So <laughs> Daniel. But he yeah, I love I love him in the middle of the field. Uh because I think he's probably uh more athletic than Briley Moore, uh, which is saying something because uh Briley Moore was like underrated athlete actually because he looked really slow but he actually is like pretty fast like he was not slow which is the strangest part about him he was actually very fast he ran like a four six four forty or something like that his pro yeah, day four, he six, did four. not look fast at all on the field and no it turns out he's actually very quick for a tight end and i turns think about baby to all of us yeah, at least like from some of his highlights he looks very athletic which is not something that we've had in many tight ends recently like like all the like Nick Lenners, like Dayton Valentine, Blaze Gannon, like those are not particularly athletic people. They were basically like sixth linemen. Like so, having an athletic pass catcher that can also block, that that is really promising. Yep. <clears throat> is it my and turn to ask, or is it your turn? It's your turn. Damn, I knew it. Uh, okay, so we have <laughs> another media day takeaway. We have uh, Chris Kleiman saying that pretty much the only uh, injury that is still kind of hanging around is uh, the Chabaston Taylor uh, ACL tear, I believe is what it was. And it was a knee injury. I'm not sure if it was ACL. Yeah, he but had yeah. a, a knee injury of some variety. And uh, that's about the only one still hanging around on the team. So basically everybody else is back to game shape ish at least. So what do you make of that? You think it's a big deal or not a big deal? In the fact that everyone is healthy, it's a huge deal. In the fact that Shabaston Taylor is the only one that's unhealthy, I don't think it's necessarily the biggest deal. Because something strange that I noticed was Chris Kleiman also talked about transfer left tackle Kingsley Ugwu. And 
he said that he wasn't going to plug him in right away. He didn't say the same thing about Tyrone Houston, Powell. which Powell. Tyrone, Tyrone Houston sorry, is but... a Mr. Hurricane receiver, I believe. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, shout out Mr. Hurricane on YouTube. He's an amazing content great, creator. Great content creator. Go go watch his videos. And I keep doing it. I keep doing it in anyway. Tyrone Howell. He didn't say the same thing about Tyrone Howell, which means one of two things. He's either taking it as everyone kind of expects that he's not really going to contribute immediately, or maybe they have a few things drawn up for him. But honestly, in the fact that Sebastian is going to be the only guy who's not full go right now, I think they did say that he's going to be healthy for the Stanford game, which, by the way, I will actually be attending now. Let's go. Aggieville Alley Cats, <clears throat> both of us are going to the Stanford game. Separately, though. Separately. We're, not We're not going, going together, <laughs> but we will both be there. <laughs> Alley Cat 1 reporting in. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. But the fact that the entire, the rest of the team is healthy and not dinged up, especially at this point in the season, is great. Because last season with COVID and people being dinged up, that was our kryptonite. Alongside K-State just being, in general, the most snake-bitten team in the U.S. Outside of... Maybe... No? No? (laughs) I can't really think of anyone. Yeah, I... Were were you done? Was that it? That yeah, yeah that was that was, right. that was it. Okay, um, I I pretty much fall into your camp. Uh, the big deal out of that is that basically everybody else is healthy. Uh, looking at you, Malik Knowles, I'm very happy of you, very proud of you. Congratulations on being Thank healthy. You. Then uh, Jabaston Taylor, uh, that uh, that is unfortunate for him. He's not fully healthy yet, but I imagine that he should be ready. If he's gonna be healthy for the Stanford game, I imagine he should be healthy by fall camp, which is pretty soon yep. here. Which. I, I take as him almost being back to 100%, just not quite there yet. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that, although I will say it's not the biggest deal in the world that he isn't healthy yet because we still have a little over a month and a half to go until the season starts. And uh, if he's going to be ready for the Stanford game, I'm not too worried. And I assume this is why they went out and got Tyrone Howell anyways, like he said. And uh, I will I will touch on the Kingsley Ugu thing. Uh, he uh, that was interesting that he was mentioned as a redshirt candidate. We we didn't put this in the uh, takeaways, but I was not expecting him to be mentioned as a redshirt candidate because I believe he has three years to play. And mm-hmm. that if he's redshirted, that puts him the same eligibility as Whit Mitchum and Carver Willis, both of whom have been pretty promising so far. They're both tall guys. Uh, they're both athletic tackles, and they have really long arms which is stuff that uh, uh, the staff really wants in their tackles. So maybe yeah. their long-term vision is to move uh, Kingsley like inside, but that seems even stranger because I think we're loaded at the inside offensive line. Maybe we'll move him to yeah. tackle or something. That's always any time <laughs> anytime an offensive lineman isn't like immediately performing, like, I feel like half of KSA fans are just like, move him to D-tackle. Like, that's not how that works at all. Like, you can't, not how this just because he's large doesn't mean that he can just be moved to as a defensive <laughs> tackle. Like, I mean, that'd be great, but... I mean, I wish that that worked, but I, I'm, I'm kind of on the stance of, as a fan and as someone who wants to see the team succeed, there are worse problems to have than too many good linemen. Yes, I, I love that uh, we should be pretty deep. Uh, offensive line we're kind of getting off a uh, topic here but i'm pretty sure Kleiman said that we're going to be like 
at least nine deep. That may have been him. That may have been somebody else. But uh, I I really like the idea of our offensive line being deep, uh, as well as just good. Uh, because yeah. I'll, I'll be a big step up from last year. Kind of a return to some of the uh, really good Snyder 2.0 teams. Like, even if they were struggling, one trademark of a good, of, a, of, a, of an at least decent Snyder 2.0 team was that the offensive line is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And th- this next one is just something that everyone on God's green earth has sung the praises of. And we just have two more people to add to that list. Skylar Thompson and Jerron McPherson both sung the praises of Julius Brents. Skylar saying that Julius is impossible to throw to and next to impossible for receivers to separate from because he always has hands on, which in this defensive scheme, yes, please. Spoiling my take. Uh, <laughs> and Jerron said that Julius is someone first guy in last guy out mentality, always watching film, always trying to improve his craft and, I, I say that everyone has said it, but I also put it here because I do think it's a big deal that we have someone on the defense, specifically a corner, who is is garnering this much praise, not only from a defensive guy, but also from the starting quarterback. <laughs> do you know how good you have to be to get praise as a defensive player from your starting quarterback. He must be an absolute menace in practice for Skyler to be talking about Julius this much. Cause I, 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 I really just, I want to lock down corner. I want Julius Island on one side of the defensive field for the entire game. It was, and then I, the Echo Peninsula. Yeah. We all have Echo Peninsula and uh, Julius Island. And then we'll have a, Reggie Stubble's field. Yeah, Stubblefield Bay. Like there in the uh the or Stubblefield barbecue sauce. Um there there in the nickel. If you know, you know. And if you know, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Skylar and Jerron praising Julius. I mean, this is a guy I, we all knew that Julius was gonna be pretty good, but people just keep talking about him more and more. And at first it was like whispers like, hey, you know, this Brent's guy is pretty good. Like, like, hey, this guy just committed. He's pretty good. Like, hey, he's been practicing. You know, he's very good. But now it's just, like, singing, like, from, like, the rafters. Like, Julius Brents is good, and there's nothing you can do about it. Good luck. Which I yeah. love that confidence. Because they're literally <laughs> just saying, like, this guy is so good. It doesn't matter if we, like, say it immediately and people start scheming around him. Because it doesn't matter. They can't it doesn't do matter. What are you going to do about it? Stop me. Stop, Stop us. Stop him. Stop him. And if Echo Boydo keeps up his play, and I, that's going to be one of the most dangerous secondaries in the entire Big 12. Yeah, one of the most dangerous secondaries in the entire Big 12, uh, at least on outside coverage, because Julius, if, if he's even close to what he's being advertised at, he's first team all Big 12 and probably gone after this year to go to the NFL. So, I mean, he's 6'3" a six foot seven wingspan which is just absolutely nuts for a corner he's built like a safety in terms of like what's height. the bosco's voice nickname for him is it the condor condor i think they're calling him condor which like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> he is he's he, <laughs> yeah it's, not, it's barely fair it's like they they made like a creative player in madden it's like whenever you make like a 99 <laughs> overall running back and give him 99 and everything and make him like seven foot like (laughs) good luck have fun with this (laughs) i mean it's if you could edit arm length in in madden 
which okay by the way for for reference a six foot seven wingspan that's significantly higher than a first round draft pick who got drafted number three overall to the lions jeffrey okuda Yikes. And that was someone who was praised for for being able to just destroy people. I would I was about to say like what's your guess for how many picks he'll have, but I feel like it's impossible to guess because will they be challenging him a lot and he'll just pick off everything and get like ten interceptions? Or is he just gonna shut everything down or not even look his way and he'll get like one pick? Correction, it's not significantly larger. It's not significant, but it is still Three eighths of an inch. <laughs> Three eighths of an inch. <laughs> Three eighths of an inch can make a difference. That is true. That that can definitely make it make a uh, three eighths of a foot or no an inch. It have to be an inch. Three eighths of a foot. Like, it has to be inch. Yeah, it has to be inch. <laughs> Three eighths of a foot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be anyway. pretty significant. That'd also be a like, wow. Jeff Okuda's got he's got short arms. <laughs> Like little T-Rex arms out here not trying to like swat balls away. Just catch them with your face mask, man. You got a better shot. Yeah, if, if you... I'm just visualizing that one picture of Jeff Okuda sitting in his stance at Ohio State where his arms are literally almost scraping the ground. And I'm just imagining that in a K-State uniform and it is beautiful. That will be Julius Brents. It's like... An, I'm going to get a little nerdy for a second. It's like Star Wars Episode Three, like General Grievous, like with those lightsabers when he's like spinning them and they're like just scratching the ground. I just yeah. picture Julius Brents with his arms just drag, literally dragging on the ground. Like that that really tall dude from Death Note, uh, the Shinigami. There's like his arms just hunched over. He has stretch Armstrong arms. He can just like a deep ball is thrown thirty yards above his head. He just reaches nope. up. <laughs> no, I said the side of the field house. is closed. We're gonna just play with <laughs> ten. Said... We're gonna play with ten people on defense because we won't need another safety. <laughs> I said this side is closed, sir. We are closed on weekends. Go home. <laughs> Go. Home. Move on to the next topic before we both expose ourselves for making more nerdy references. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another media day takeaway is KU did not make it to media days. Sad face. <laughs> they, uh, KU, they were supposed to be there. They, they were invited and their flight was like delayed or canceled or something. And they just did. It was canceled because because weather concerns. Weather weather concerns. They did not make it to that to media days. Do you think that's a big deal, or do you think that's not a big deal that KU is? No, I don't don't think it's a big deal at all. I think I think I just think it's funny. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's not a big deal. They just did it over Zoom, but it's just it's it's just kind of funny. It's like, can anything of all the schools it could happen to? Will will anything ever go right for the football program? the university of kansas that is the question at this point because they couldn't even make it to media they couldn't even like are they like gonna like miss post-game press conferences next year for weather concerns i'm <laughs> uh, sorry couldn't make it from the locker room to the press the press conference room i uh, heard there was some uh, some storms on the way there yeah god help them when they oh, have yeah. to play iowa state yeah unrelated to us losing 75 to 0 on our home turf 
for some weather concerns. Like, don't really feel safe getting over there. Uh, bye. <laughs> Later. <laughs> See you. So yeah, we both think that the KU is not a big deal. I mean, uh, case KU not making it to uh to their media day is not a big deal. Um, that wasn't an obvious joke or anything. But the the thing that I kind of want to talk about is actually from the the last part of this media day takeaway. There's a lot more that we could, but we decided to keep it shorter as opposed to having a, another two and a half hour long segment like we had in our recruiting special. Hmm. And the Big 12 commissioner said that, in a moment of silence, please, no more horns down as a taunt. And my response to that, stop me. <laughs> I know it's for the players, but stop me. I, th- I think it's a big deal for the players just because I-, I can see a lot of people getting flagged for throwing the horns down on the field. Connor continuously keeps throwing the horns down partially off screen. And I, I could see it being a somewhat big deal because I can see a lot of like there's going to be an Oklahoma player who gets flagged for it. That's just what's going to happen. But other than that, I I like how, I think my favorite part about this is that they specified horns down before they said other taunts, because what other big taunts are there in the big 12 that are (laughs) nonverbal? Middle fingers, I guess. That's That's basically it. Like I, I, I don't know what to say about it. I, I think it's a big deal because it's just stupid. Like they just said tauntings and you get penalized. It's like, yeah, it's a little sad, but that's just kind of the way the game's been heading. Like no big surprise, but it's just weird that they singled out horns down. Like that, horns they, down. they're kind of like tipping their hand there on like, like what influenced this rule to come about cough, Texas, <laughs> like donors. <laughs> and I, I, a little bit of a slip there. Bob Bowlesby. It's just, so uh, that's kinda, just dumb. Yeah, that kind of wraps up the, the Big 12 Media Day segment. And you mentioned Texas donors, but we have another thing to talk about in the K-State sphere, or rather you do in the K-State sphere, that was directly influenced by Kansas State donors. And would you like to, to discuss what it is you learned about this new mysterious project that will be revealed by you and within the next five seconds. Yes. The mysterious project, which has not been a secret at all is the, <laughs> is the, uh, the shamrock zone. Uh, that, that was just completed the South stadium project that was under construction, uh, since last summer, I believe they were working on it during the season and they just had an open house for it. Uh, yesterday which was thursday and then today as well they had another one i did not go to the one today i went to the thursday one 7 15 uh, july july 15th and uh, so i got to go in i just like kind of showed up like on my own and it was first thing first uh i like saw like walking up and i was like all right this is like this looks pretty nice on the outside and like as you like it's just one of those things where as you get closer like, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because on screen like at games, like if you're watching a game on TV, you're like, that's eh, like kind of small, isn't it? But no, it's not small. It's not small. Like, like I walked in and I was like, wow, this thing is huge. Like, and it's really nice. There's two gigantic TV screens. Like the, the screens that might be the size of like 
the first video board that they had like on the north uh stadium complex thing that teeny tiny like <laughs> 15 by 15 foot thing yeah at best like, i I, used to, I don't even think you ever would have been to a game when it was there i saw it on ncaa oh that's right it is on ncaa so yeah it's that Correct. thing like like they have two tvs that's why i know what you're talking about they're obviously like a lot nicer and they have a i have the picture pulled up they have a row beneath at least one of those tvs of one two three four five six seven eight tvs and there's a buffet looks like as well as a full service bar they had uh happy hour drinks there while i was there people were ordering away and it was just kind of all open so i just like kind of walked around just like checked it out i was trying to see what was going on first of all i'll say the view was way better than i thought it was going to be i figured you're going to be in the end zone the view is going to kind of suck which is why the tickets are cheaper but the view is actually pretty good i I was surprised like i walked out there and i was like oh all right you can actually like see the other side of the field and you'll get a great view of what's happening on the uh, the south end zone and then um the, the suites i i looked at the renderings before it's like those are kind of small but they look a lot smaller in the renderings than they actually are they're they're not massive but they're pretty they're decent size at least the ones that i went in there's a couple tvs in them there's like a like a sink and like like storage and stuff like that and a, a table and some bar stools and the uh, the nicer suites they have like their own like private outdoor seats and the seats outside are really comfortable as i mean it's a 50 million dollar facility i hope the seats are pretty yeah comfortable. one would imagine yeah like like so those were those were really nice there's also uh this was maybe my favorite uh like like small touch thing that they had in there I, ace i think it was yours as well from the pictures i sent to you it was the the wildcat wall yeah because like there's just this beautiful it's a uh, in the uh it's like in the atrium ish area like where there's a uh, where it connects to Bramlage and there's just this wall and it just has like the wildcat script from the men's basketball uh, throwback wildcats uh, jersey and it's just really nice it just looks really nice it's a purple script on a limestone wall I mean like limestone TM Manhattan Kansas <laughs> it's only ours no one else can take it yeah and like going through the rest of the pictures I took uh it's beautiful inside like it it's all really high quality lots of indoor seating i think this was originally supposed to be like kind of be open to the public as like a restaurant but i don't think that's happening anymore unfortunately uh, no, I, no i don't think that's gonna happen yeah. anymore yeah originally it was supposed to be i like gene taylor said it in one of the videos but i just i don't think that's happening they must have changed that plan for reasons i guess i guess partially because it would have gotten like completely overwhelmed <laughs> like no definitely it's like would you like to eat at the restaurant yeah it'll be a wait of like five hours and the game's gonna be yeah. over in two so good luck with that. have fun waiting 12 years <laughs> and then they're uh they're also remodeling uh the northwest and northeast um entrances into bramlage as a part of it and those look they like they look fine like like it's just they modernize it a little bit i think they're gonna do some more stuff to bramlage in the future don't know what that's gonna be but it's it's like a currently an allegedly thing and then they uh, they also uh, they renovated the uh, the south side uh, concession stands, and those look uh, nicer. New bathrooms down there as well. And in Bramlage or the the football stadium. Football stadium, south side football stadium. And okay. uh, oh, and then on the uh, the 
uh, the face, the south side stadium, the face, the part facing the field, there's a ribbon board, which Bill Snyder Family Stadium does not have any ribbon boards. If you don't know what a ribbon board is, it's like those video boards that they'll put like on the like the front facing side of like a, a level of seating. I may describe that awfully, but it's a ticker. Yes, there you go. It's a ticker. Like, and they have that it's facing the ESPN broadcast. Yeah, basically that. And it's uh, facing the field, and they had uh, some uh, K-State graphic up there, which I, I don't want the stadium to go, like, overboard with uh, those ribbon boards. But I think one's, like, fine. Like, maybe maybe no, two. Like, I, I think that's totally... the entire stadium with ribbon boards. Yeah, like, I'd rather I'd rather we not do that, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, overall, um, I... Going into it, I honestly was kind of expecting to be a little underwhelmed by it, but I was pleasantly surprised. It was a really nice area, and I really enjoyed like getting to walk through it, even though I will probably never be in it again. <laughs> I'm in college. <laughs> Unless someone's kind no, enough maybe. to in- invite us in, then... Yeah. Maybe uh, someday, Connor. Maybe maybe some... No, that's like a life goal, I guess. Like We'll start, we'll start putting ad rev towards uh, getting, getting a seat. Uh, we're what, seven hundredths of a percent away. Make sure to support the show so Ace and I can buy, <laughs> buy club seats in the South Stadium Center. This goes towards a great charitable cause. Write it off on your taxes. Write <laughs> <laughs> it off on your... Something that I'm curious about that I know we will not know about, isn't that giant speaker right on top of that, of those suites? Um, there's another floor. Um, oh, okay. So there's like a floor yeah, separating. There's them. like, that's still not going to be pleasant. <laughs> no, like because on that second or that top floor where the stadium is, that's all athletic department offices. And okay. then I think they also have a terrace of some kind up there. Although I think it may be one of those things where like the direction of the speakers like goes more outward and not yeah. as far down. I don't know. I I would hope that they had figured so. that out. For the, the speaker, people in those offices. Yeah, the speaker was working last year, I'm pretty sure. and It was. I, I kind of stood over on that side of the field uh, for a while, and at least on the lower bowl, it wasn't that loud. Like, it was it was good sound, but it wasn't, like, overbearing or anything. They, they jacked it once, and I was in the area, and believe me, you can hear it once they jack it. Good. Pause. Everyone should be <laughs> leaving Bill Snyder Family Stadium with their eardrums burst or it was yeah, not ears, a good stadium experience ears gone doesn't matter <laughs> and it's like when the other team gets there first just blow out the speaker so they can't hear the signs coming in automatic advantage <laughs> automatic dub but that's all i have on the the shamrock zone uh, it was pretty nice and it kind of completes uh uh, the interior of the stadium, they kind of went side by side, like starting all the way back in 98 with the east side. Then they did the west side stadium center. And then they did the, they redid the veneer on the north side. Now they finally have kind of wrapped it up with the, uh, the south side uh, stadium thing. So it's a nice little uh, completion to it. Unless they like want to renovate the east side a little bit more, which uh, that'd be more of a facelift thing than anything. Yeah. And Better stadium will always be a good thing, not only for recruits, obviously, but for fans. Mm-hmm. So, 
that kind of that kind of completes the first half of the show. But before we move on to the second half of the show, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, and we're going to just move right into our next segment of the day, and that is the segment regarding Kansas State men's basketball, or as Connor and I have lovingly referred to it as for the last two years, agony. And speaking of agony, more agony, because one of the highly coveted recruits from the highly coveted 2019 recruiting class has transferred away. Montavious Murphy has decided that he doesn't want to play men's basketball for the Kansas State Wildcats anymore. And even as someone whose basketball is not necessarily his sport, and I probably wouldn't be watching much basketball if it wasn't my university's basketball team. Ow. (laughs) Pain. Uh, That's that's all I got to say about it at this point. Because out of all the players that transferred out of the 2019 class, at this point, Murphy doesn't hurt that much for me. It's more of just, like, reminding me of the pain that already happened. Mainly because Montavious, like, he was someone that I I loved his potential early on. I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is exactly what we need. Like, a power forward that can stretch a little, uh, like, has a bit of a three-point game. Like, nothing crazy, but can threaten from out there. He's good on the interior has a lot of room to grow but then he just could not stay healthy for the life of him and he did not play a lot this year and when he did play he didn't do a lot and yeah season ending knee surgery and what was already a lost season and then he transfers out well after the wave of transfers that comes after every season yeah so like i think the biggest thing that hurts about this transfer is as a symbolic loss and that all of the 2019 class is gone. And that was, that was a class that everybody I think was really looking forward to because I was Dejuan Gordon, Antonio Gordon, Montavious Murphy, and David Sloan and Sloan left after a year. And then Dejuan, Antonio and Monte all left uh, after this following season. So Sloan leaving hurt, but I, I got it because we just weren't utilizing him. Antonio leaving, that was kind of its own situation. Dejuan leaving hurt a lot because he, like, literally days or, like, a week before he transferred was, like, talking about, like, running it back and stuff like that and, like, how they were, like, ready yeah. for next year. And then, like, a few – and I was like, yes. Like, we were finally like, – we were hitting our stride at the end of the year. And Dejuan's, like, hungry for next year. Like, team leader next year. Let's go. And he left. And I was like, ah, why did you do well, this? Why – at least don't get our hopes up. Like – Granted, we did get some very good transfers then. And uh, Mark, uh, Mark Smith, Marquise Noel, and uh, Ishmael Massoud. All those guys yeah. I'm very excited for this year. We arguably, I wouldn't even say arguably, I think straight up we just improved in the transfer market this year based on the guys that we lost. But uh, Montavious leaving, that's just kind of a final a final kick uh, in, uh, for uh, the 2019 class just... A, a failed class, unfortunately. But regardless, we still have a good young core despite that entire class leaving. Like, yeah. Like, we still have Nigel, still have Davion, still have Selton, and Mark comes in. Ishmael Masood's new. Uh, Asiri Lewis, uh, the new guys, Logan Landers and Maximus Edwards. Uh, this is a young core. And then we still have Mike McGurl, who's an older guy. Like, I am cautiously excited about K State basketball. 
this upcoming season. Oh, you know you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I know, but I do it every year. I'm in an abusive relationship with, with this team. Every year I get excited. Every year I think, it'll change. It'll be different. And most years, not all it years. one year. Most years, I, I, I get burnt. We had, the, we had two years of glory where we had the Elite Eight season and my freshman year of college. We had the Big 12 championship, which then ended in shambles. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about but it. But I, I kind of have the similar stance to you is that I feel while we net improved with who we got in the transfer portal, I think it's more a symbolic thing. And while I 100% agree with the sentiment that this is just how college sports are nowadays – where you have a lot of people transferring in and out. I don't think you have an entire class transferring in and out. And even if I don't personally believe that everything is wrong and we need to burn it down, I will say that I understand people who will use the 2019 class as an argument for that. And I do think it raises some concern more so about program retention than it says about anything else. And program retention is one of the most important things to a college program being successful, yeah. especially contributors. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Like I think the argument works best for 2019 class or any of the other guys. I think Monte, he counts the least for it just because, he just could not stay healthy. I think he was on track to not really playing a whole lot the rest of his career anyways, just because yeah. if he transferred this late in the window, that that says that says something probably about his competitiveness in practice, like how he's measuring up to the other bigs on the team. So yeah. uh, he probably applies at least to this. But if you want to make the argument for any of the other guys, even uh, Antonio Gordon, because like, he was uh, – he really found a role for himself by the end of the year as a rebounder. But, uh, and Monte, it just, it just sucks. But that's all it is. Cause like, it's, it's just kind of a sad story. Like he had all the potential in the world. Just couldn't stay healthy. Like, and it's not, it's not his fault. Like just like couldn't stay healthy. Knee problems, yeah. man. And we both wish the best for him wherever he ends up transferring. We always, even though we're, we're sad to see people go from K state. We, both of us will always root for guys who transfer out because we want the best for them as people. Yeah. And I, I hope he does. I hope he does. While it will sting if he suddenly gets over all of his injuries and becomes an All-American, it would hurt, but I'd be happy for him. Yeah, yeah. Like We want the best for, for Monte going forward. And I do think that he's supposed to uh, be announcing his decision here pretty soon. This, may even be announced by the time we upload this i heard it was supposed to be friday which is today but it's getting kind of late and he hasn't done that yet so it might be uh in the next few days uh but but we'll see we'll see how montavious where where he ends up and uh, maybe we'll follow him a little bit yeah it'll be a good it'll be a good story to follow and speaking of good stories to follow we have a happy story for kansas state sports and this will be our first foray into kansas state baseball which i think you and i actually talked about mentioning baseball and how k-state got snubbed from the ncaa tournament on our first episode but we just wanted to keep it focused on football so now we finally get a chance to talk about my second favorite sport of any sport first being football but we finally get to talk about the mlb draft and how 
the Wildcats fared for for good of the players, but not necessarily the greatest thing for the team. Now, we're just going to go ahead and go through the draft picks. I'll go through shortly, and we'll explain what it means later. In the first round, what everyone predicted, Jordan Wicks got taken to play for the Cubs, left-handed pitcher, all Big 12. One could argue pretty good at baseball. Carson Seymour, yeah, pretty, pretty, you know, he's okay. Carson Seymour got taken in the sixth round to the Mets. Zach Kakaska got drafted in the 10th round to the Rockies. Eric Torres got drafted in round 14 by the Angels. And someone who went undrafted is Casey Ford, and he is going to the Astros. So let's just start off from the top here. And Jordan Wicks. Everyone knew that he was going to go in the first round. Yeah. Uh, he he was incredible uh, his whole time at K-State, especially that 2020 season that was cut short. He was on pace for a uh, transcendent season. Like, I think his ERA was, like, below one through, like, four starts, which was absolutely Extended. nuts. And, uh, like, I think once the season got cut short, he'd gone, like, I think it was 17 innings without giving up an earned run. And... He's just absolutely nuts. Like his fastball is fine, like like very good. His slider's good, but it was his changeup that just ended lives. Disgusting. One of the just biological weapon. Truly, like like his his changeup is like probably under consideration of reclassification as a a war crime to use by uh, the UN <laughs> because I mean it's just, it's just absolutely nasty. I. I remember seeing during the draft that the swing and miss rate on that changeup was, I think, 50%. Yep. <laughs> like, which it was is around there. And I think the batting average, the, uh, the opponent batting average on his changeup was like a 0.12, which is absolutely <laughs> atrocious for opponents. And Wicks, just incredible like, that, that he's able to use it that effectively. Not just that the pitch is great, but that also he clearly knows when to use it as well. Because you have a pitch that's that good, it's probably really tempting to just throw it all the time. But yeah, I, that's but, what I would do. Yeah, that's also why I'm that great a pitcher. But but yeah, he uh, he uh, he's a smart pitcher and he's a great competitor. He's uh, that that was one of my favorite things about his time at K State is that by uh, his sophomore year, by the tail end, he could have easily checked out and been like, yeah, I'm going to the MLB, whatever. His last two starts were some of my favorite starts of his. It was uh, his second to last. There, uh, he pitched against uh, TCU uh, in the first game of that home series to end the the season, and he went. I think it was seven and two thirds, and gave up like two or three runs, and which is generally incredible. Had like twelve strikeouts or something ludicrous like that, and he yeah. uh, he could have been pulled probably in the sixth inning, but he just kept going. And he didn't get pulled until the eighth, and it was just absolutely nuts. And Torres came in and got like four straight strikeouts because he's just an absolute incredible pitcher. Insane. And yeah, and, then and, and it's the... worth noting that uh, Whoa. it's worth it's worth Whoa. noting that um, <laughs> it's worth just just for reference, two or three runs is amazing in college because college offenses are a lot more prolific than in major in the majors. Yep. Uh, two or two or three runs, especially in the amount of time that uh, he had pitched, because that's seven and two thirds. That's a long start in college. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of starters are going like five, six innings, maybe. Uh, Wicks, he he was going the distance for there for a while, 
And then uh, in the baseball tournament, when K-State was facing, gosh, who were they playing? It might have been TCU again. It honestly, you can just say TCU it, again, and you played have TCU a good chance of like right. six times down the stretch. I was <laughs> tired of it. And we played, yeah, I, you know, I think actually it was TCU. He had a bad first inning through like 40 pitches or something like that and had not had a not great second inning through like another 20 or 30. And then he still managed to go like six innings, I think. And he ended up throwing like almost 130 pitches in that outing, this final outing as a Wildcat, like leading up to the draft. He could have easily just like said, I'm done. I'm not pitching again after he passed about 100, but. Pitchers don't go that far anymore. No, they don't. Like, it's not the 90s. Like, it's not David Cohn against the Mariners in the playoffs going 150. <laughs> like, like, like this, is, this is the Big 12 tournament for a team that's on the rocks. Like, and he went 121-30 and shut down TCU the rest of the way. And then Torres came in and pitched uh, pretty decently, as I recall. But it was just, he was inspiring to watch. Uh, as a college pitcher, incredible competitor. I think he's going to be great in uh, the pros. I imagine it won't be, relatively speaking, too long before he makes his way uh, no. up in the minor league. Relatively rounds. speaking, for, for baseball, it's like three or four years now. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> like, like I say relatively speaking, like, I mean, he might make it in maybe three or four, like, like you said. Now he just instantly goes up to the MLB and wins the Cy Young. Uh, it's also worth noting that everyone on this list, to my knowledge, except for Jordan Wicks, has not announced their decision. But honestly, if you get drafted, you probably are going to go. The only guys I would think, my thing is like once you go past the 10th, um, you might consider coming back. And also the draft is nowhere near as long as it normally is this year because it's normally like 40 rounds, right? Yeah, because we had a high school classmate who got taken in, what, the 22nd round. Yeah, something something like that. And they normally... Fun fact, he also had an offer from K-State, but he decided to... He was, he was a K-State for... commit, actually. Like, like he, he had signed his NLI, and he, he was going to come here, but then he got picked and went pro instead. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the draft ended up... Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the, the draft was shortened this year, just covid reasons ish i guess and because i think they only went 15 rounds yeah i think that's that's what it was so the the next person is obviously jordan wicks hurts because jordan wicks was without question our best pitcher last year and maybe our was best pitcher in yeah very well could be that as well and i think was in contention for the best player on the team i don't think he quite met that in terms of overall production for the team, which no disrespect to Jordan Wicks, man is an animal, but I feel like there's one person. It, it's it's Dylan Phillips. It's Dylan Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> um. Just he didn't get drafted, but just so we all know who I'm talking about, it's Dylan Phillips. Man was absolutely nuts last year. Behemoth. But absolute manimal. But the next person who got drafted was Carson Seymour, who was taken in round six to the Mets. Which, if you're noticing a pattern. Our pitching staff is kind of a pitching staff that showed very much its weakness in the playoffs in that we were playing our starting right fielder in in pitcher. I don't think it bodes that well, (laughs) losing another pitcher. Yeah, like, 
Seymour getting picked. Um, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised because he's a developmental uh, raw prospect with uh, really great velocity, which is something that MLB teams are going to love to just throw in their farm system and see what happens. Because Seymour, he uh, his best pitch was his fastball. He was hitting like 96, 97 on that thing, I believe, like, which is just incredible, and especially for college ranks. And he uh, struggled with breaking ball control for a lot of the season but once he got moved to the bullpen and started coming out and doing a long relief uh it seemed like his breaking ball kind of started to improve a little bit it seemed like and uh, he had some pretty good outings down the stretch like he had a a six inning outing in the big 12 tournament as a reliever and was really really good i forget against two might have been baylor and he pitched very well and uh so and he's got a big frame he's like six six two forty or something like that so he's he's Absolute, human absolute unit of an individual. Like, Ford, big country, big country, and big country. And Seymour, he uh, he's got a lot of uh, pitching tools that MLB teams like. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about that. Just um, had, he kind of struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season in the middle portions, but he really found a stride towards the end there, and uh, really proved himself to be a pretty good prospect. And I ultimately showed that we had a very, very talented uh, pitching staff this year for college standards. Yep. And the only non-pitcher on this list who got drafted from K-State, because I think a lot of them were young and stayed, with a few exceptions. I think maybe Chris Ceballos was was one of the lone exceptions. Unless his eligibility is paused and he's still coming back as a as a senior. I think he could be eligible to come back. If he wants, okay. I, I don't know if he is though. I I have no idea. Does that that's good because he turned on the clutch gene towards the back end of the season. He just after. Let, let's not mince words. After an abysmal start, he was the like one for twenty seven to start the year. He was like just straight up buns from the plate. I, I have a picture of him having a batting average of point zero six nine, and that wasn't the lowest it got this year. That, that was worse than I ever got in MLB The Show. And that was a, that was a video game. Like, <laughs> and I, I was bad at that game. Like, Yeah, he really put it together at the end of the year and became one of and, our most clutch performers. Which and, I mean, he just, like, he continue. became the sort of guy where it just seemed like any time you left, a, like, you missed a pitch by a little bit, he was just sending it over the fence. Like, he was just <laughs> launching. On. He was launching home runs by the end of the year. All of TCU... Uh, game three series finale senior day that was an unbelievable finish that game if you weren't aware it's an insane insane finish but on to who we're actually talking about (laughs) for this this segment uh zach kakoska who was an outfielder he got drafted in the 10th round to the rockies and him and dylan phillips and at the beginning of the season nick goodwin were kind of the the instruments that made our offense go. And we were a really, really freakishly good offense for the majority of the year. We hit which dingers. is not something I expect. We hit dingers, is, man. Like my name's Big Al. I hit dingers. <laughs> we we just hit home runs. Like we we shattered the team home run record for a season. Like it wasn't even that close by the end, I think, because we were we broke it with like three weeks to go in the year, I think. And then we hit some more in the big 12 tournament. 
Yeah. Should have gone the NCAA tournament, though. That's a whole different rant, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Kakaska. Um, one thing I'll, I guess I'll say is, uh, outfielder for the Rockies, uh, good luck whenever he gets called <laughs> up to the majors because he's going to be running a lot. It's not because their pitching staff's bad. It just doesn't matter if their pitching staff's good because the ball is just going to carry out of the, of the park. Uh, just because the altitude in uh, Colorado, uh, Kakaska, he was he uh, was first team All Big Twelve, I believe. Uh, had an outstanding batting average, was hitting like three point three six, I think, by the end of the season. Just outstanding stuff. Had fifteen ish home runs, I believe. A lot of RBIs, really reliable, and then uh, played right field for us. Uh, he originally transferred in from I think it was Virginia Tech, uh, and played for us for two or three years. A guy that was really talented, selfishly was kind of hoping he'd stick around. But I mean, if you're drafted, you should go. Like, like take the money, yeah. man. Like, take it and run. And uh, good pickup for the Rockies. I'm honestly a little surprised he didn't go a little sooner. Yeah, I am as well. And also, a final note on, on Coors Field there are two modes as a Coors Field outfielder. Number one, you run 14 marathons in a game and you're gasping for breath because of the altitude. The second mode, you don't have to move because everything hit to the outfield is a home run. Yep. That's the, the two modes. I like just a ton of home runs in that park. It doesn't matter. The field is uh, kind of deep in center. It just does not matter at all. Like It's it's carrying. It's going to carry. It's carrying. It's gone. If, you think it might, if you're wondering if it's going to carry, it's going to carry. <laughs> yeah. Just Which, It'll be very good for Zach Kakaska's offense. Oh, yeah, it'll be great. He's going to play half his games in a home run friendly park, and he was a, a home run hitter in college. Like, if you can adjust MLB pitching, uh, he'll have a field day in that park. Because K State hasn't had many uh, great in the field players in the MLB, from my recollection. Uh, Nick Martini's been up and down through the majors. Uh, he played for the A's for a while, and he's with the Cubs right now. And he's been going up, up and down between their AAA and majors because of injuries. And other than that, we just don't have many guys uh, in the field, guys, at least. We have a few pitchers in the pros, uh, like Evan Marshall. He's relieving for the White Sox right now. And he's he's getting significant uh, innings as a short reliever. But yeah. uh, good for Kakaska. Uh, hopefully he can make his way up to the majors. Yeah. And I, I think – I honestly think all of these guys have – and, and this isn't just me being a homer. I think all of these guys genuinely have potential to make the majors. Do I think that all of them will make it within the next five years? No. No. But I think that all of them will eventually make it to the majors and have at least a role player capacity, mm-hmm. which kind of somewhat fits the description for what Eric Torres was at K-State, who got picked up in the 14th round. Wasn't it was him and Eckberg that kind of swapped between who was the closer, wasn't it? Yeah, it just kind of depended on who pitched the night before, honestly, and what they needed. Because mm-hmm. uh, Torres, he by the end of the season, Torres was almost exclusively pitching uh, on the same day as Jordan Wicks. Uh, we just had that yeah. one-two punch for basically a guaranteed victory. And uh, let's throw in Wicks, have him go like six or seven innings and just throw Torres in for the remainder of the game. And then if needed, throw in somebody else for uh, the last little bit. 
Because Torres had a very, very rough start to the season. He did not start the year well at all, but he settled in very quickly and very, very quickly established himself as probably our best reliever, one of the better relievers we've had in a while. Uh, Eckenberg was our number one reliever going into the season, and he's still a very good reliever. But it's just that Torres was like he was just incredible but i i, I mean yeah, he was, he was so sure. much fun to watch by the end of the season like he just had an interesting delivery he had a a sidearm uh delivery as a left-hander and he mm-hmm. he just like as a lefter as a left-handed hitter what do you do like left-handed hitters were just hitting atrociously against him because he had uh all of his pitches they were coming in and they were looking like they were going to hit you like like his slider and his curveball like like his curveball mm-hmm. like it was it was going to hit you until like the like the until final. it wasn't and it was terrifying. Yeah, like so his strikeout rate and his swing and miss rate were just incredible by the end of the year. Like at great great season from Eric Torres. I was of course hoping he wasn't going to get drafted. We made it to day three. Uh, I was like holding on hope, like maybe he'll come back for another year because he's just so good. But uh, he great um great for him. He did get picked by the Angels in the fourteenth round. I imagine he'll probably take that deal. Uh, depending on what they offer him. And if he does come back, great for us. Uh, We'll have another incredible reliever back for another season. But uh, if he doesn't, thank you for the uh, great season uh, that you just gave us. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service, Eric. We appreciate you and your sidearm delivery and being generally outstanding at baseball. Uh, Good luck in the majors. Now, the, the final person who will be leaving because they got drafted is Big Country. Big, Big Country. Country, Casey Ford, who is going to the Astros. Hopefully, they keep all trash cans away from the Astros. Cheaters. <laughs> um, yeah, something in your throat there? Oh, I just had to clear my throat a little bit. You know, we've been talking for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I understand. But... Casey Ford, who was another one of our our contributors in the bullpen, is now going to be a member of the Houston Astros farm system. And the number one thing that I think of when I saw Casey Ford was man was throwing gas. He and that was. was kind of his only game. Yeah, he didn't do much else other than uh, just throw heaters. Like he just would throw heaters, but they just drop a little bit. Like They just had like an interesting sort of thing to him. So he wasn't effective for long. So it was like kind of weird when he like became a starter like in the latter third of the year, because he'd be great for like a couple innings, and but then other teams would figure out, wait, you're just throwing a fastball. All right, like you know, it drops a little. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, okay, I guess. So he was really effective as a reliever. Uh, he really succeeded in that role, honestly. Like throughout most of the season, like it, before he was moved to starting, he had like a 1.9 ERA, I think, which was outstanding, and. And he got moved to starting, just really struggled in that role uh, for a while there. Uh, but ultimately, if he moves back to the relief, which I imagine in the majors, he probably will since uh, he will. Yeah, that's that's where he succeeded the most uh, in, in college. Uh, I really like his chance, especially if he can develop some of his uh, breaking pitches. Uh, he's kind of in the same boat as Carson Seymour there. Uh, a big player. Uh, I think he's very similar size to Seymour, although he used to be bigger. Uh, he uh, dropped, I think it was 50 pounds in between uh, 2020 and 2021. And uh, uh, he... Slightly less big country. A slightly less big, but still gargantuan big country. And <laughs> uh, But he uh, he was a senior. He was outgoing. 
Uh, so he was not coming back anyways. So great, uh, great for him uh, going undrafted and signing a deal with the Astros and uh, making it to the majors, making it to the big, uh, to the farm system at least. Uh, so yeah. uh, looking forward to following these guys in the, in the future, seeing uh, where their careers take them. Yeah. But just because we have people leaving doesn't mean that we, that K-State baseball doesn't have plans for people to bring in. And that leads us to our next segment about the notable recruiting pickups. And we're going to talk about specifically four, two high school guys and two transfers into the K-State baseball program. And I believe they're all from different states. In fact, I know they are all from different states. So K-State baseball and baseball in general, actually, I've noticed is regional doesn't necessarily matter as much in baseball. And that's a discussion you and I have had, but the, we want to, we want to just go through name by name here and what we all have to say about these recruits for baseball. Yeah. We can start with uh, um, Tyson neighbors. Uh, if, if you want, I, I think he's as good as anybody to start with. Um, but Yeah. Cause his name's first on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, no other reason. Yeah, no, no other reason. Just wow, that's a that's quite a coincidence. But uh, Tyson <laughs> Neighbors, uh, he's um well for one recently I discovered that there is a baseball recruiting database which I had so much fun going through because I didn't realize it existed before. I looked through no, like old. Texted... Yeah, I looked through he old. Me. So excited about this. I did because I had no idea this was the thing. And I was like, wow, I've been missing out on this whole side of recruiting that I didn't even know there was. But it's, uh, it's called Perfect Game. Uh, so if you want to keep up on uh, baseball recruiting, uh, go to perfectgame.org. Uh, but the first guy we have is not sponsored, but you should. If you're hearing this Perfect Game, you should sponsor us, and we will talk about more baseball recruiting. Uh, it's Heisen Neighbors uh, out of Rockwell, Texas. He's a right-handed pitcher as well as an outfielder. One of those uh, multi-positional uh, players that P. Hughes just absolutely loves, just these random utility guys that can go play uh, out in the field but then also be brought in to pitch if needed. A uh, very highly regarded uh, recruit. Uh, perfect game. They uh, they grade on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being uh, the worst, and their uh, description of it being the game is too dangerous. <laughs> And then 10 being the highest, which is potential very high draft pick and or elite level college prospects. So most of the college guys that you're going to be seeing commit to K-State are probably going to be in the 6 to 10 range, generally a little higher. Uh, mm -hmm. Neighbors was graded as a 9.5, actually. So so a 9 would be a potential top 10 pick, top 10 round pick, uh, and high highest level college prospects. 10 is very high traffic and or elite level college prospects. So right on the cusp of yep. elite. Um, one thing that stood out about him, this is when I first heard about him was there's this video uh, that made its way to the message boards on KSO. And he, he, uh, um, Oh, I believe he's being recruited as a pitcher. Uh, he went to the plate as he was playing out in the field and uh, the, he's from Texas and they were playing in Texas, and he just absolutely jacked a home run over, uh, pulled it to <laughs> left. He's a right-handed hitter, pulled it to left. 
rounded all the bases, did his thing, and right as he was stepping on home, just flicked the horns down right on home plate. <laughs> and it was, I was like, all right, I I can get on board with this guy. I, I, I see you. Among the other stories you've heard about him, because my cousin used to play with and against him being out of Texas from, from Rockwell. <laughs> so it, I've told you other stories, including one of him beating out a fly ball in, let's say, a creative fashion. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, you know, I that's something that I... I'm excited for, especially being the fact that he's such a highly touted recruit and source my cousin who himself in his own right is going to be a college baseball player. His slider was one of the most ridiculously difficult pitches to hit that he's ever seen. And he was a baseball player in Texas who traveled the circuit. So <laughs> yeah, they play a lot of baseball down, down Texas. I mean, like when it's, when you're able to play basically year round, like, like that's yeah. why states like California, Florida, uh, Texas in the deep South and then New Mexico and Arizona. That's why they're putting out so many baseball prospects relative to teams up North. And that's why it's really difficult to establish a program when you're not in the, uh, the Sun Belt or the Southeast, uh, just cause you have to get a further reach for uh, your talent. Mm-hmm. But a uh, neighbors. Yes. He... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. Oh, it's fine. We do it the entire show. Uh, we, we we take the animosity off camera. Yeah, yeah we, and we had to fight after after every... We had to meet halfway between us and have a fight <laughs> at dawn. But he's ranked uh, 55th overall in the state of Texas, uh, 26th ranked uh, right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's uh, 6'1", 219. Just graduated, so he will be here next year. And if he's uh, hitting well and pitching well, who knows how P. Hughes is going to use him. Uh, he'll he'll find something out. I'll probably just like throw him in left field, and then uh, at some random point in the game, he'll just bring him in to pitch no warmups. And he would do a Dylan Phillips <laughs> like sometimes. Like a PQ's thing to do. Yeah, like Phillips would just be out there in left field, and I'd be bring like we just go out to the mound, and he'd be like just point at Dylan, be like me. <laughs> yep. <Me>? Okay. okay. <laughs> I did. Uh... All right. <laughs> But yeah, Tyson Neighbors, uh, he's a guy uh, that should uh, make hopefully an early impact on the baseball team. And it's also encouraging to see uh, recruiting up because uh, 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 recruiting for baseball, I, I don't know if we were particularly great while Brad Hill was here, but I will say our attrition rate was pretty awful while he was here. A lot of guys are transferring, but we're for the most part maintaining integrity there. Uh, a lot of guys are sticking around and we're bringing in more transfers as well, which we'll get to here in a minute. But yep. the the next recruit uh, that we're going to talk about is uh, Jordan Wicks too. That's not his name, but that that will probably be who he is. <laughs> uh, his name's Jackson Wentworth. He's out of Urbandale, Iowa. Uh, he's a right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's the number three overall prospect in Iowa. The number two right-handed pitcher, and he's also the nationally the 158th ranked uh, prospect in the entire country. And he was a draft prospect. And he, uh, he had some offers uh, to um, be an undrafted free agent and join a farm system, but he declined them and is coming to K-State instead, which is super exciting because 
on this uh this website jordan wicks was not ranked he did not have a ranking and he was as good as he was and then we have this guy jack wentworth out of urbandale iowa who has a perfect 10 score uh he's the only recruit that we have with that score but just a reminder perfect 10 means elite level college prospect and potential very high draft pick sound like somebody familiar and uh, that's not where the similarities end that was uh a, a man that's name reminds with a uh, Borden Bix. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. But, uh, <laughs> this is your <laughs> Jackson Wentworth. He, uh, if you read the evaluation on him, uh, he has a three quarter slot uh, delivery, kind of similar to a guy that we know. At least that's how I'm interpreting it. Is that right? Am I right? Yes. Okay. You're right. I, I just saw you about to laugh. I couldn't tell if I was right or wrong. But uh, then he uh, he's already really well-rounded. Uh, but what um, the two things that really stood out to me is that he has a 12-6 curve, uh, 12-6 curve ball pitch, which if you're not familiar with that, it's when you describe it, it makes, it makes perfect sense. It's literally just a curve ball that starts high and just ends up low. Like, the floor falls out from under yeah, it, basically. Like twelve, like on the clock, and it goes down to six, which on which is on the bottom. And yep. as described as having an already advanced swing miss rate, and then the perhaps the best thing that they say in their evaluation of him is quote uh, his changeup was possibly the best we've ever seen it. Uh, showing late fade and sink, he got the same arm speed, and it was equally effective against both left and right-handed hitters. Does that sound like somebody that we know? No. Incorrect. It does sound like someone <laughs> we know. It sounds exactly like Jordan Wicks. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Why are you sabotaging my recruiting segment? <laughs> I'm not sabotaging anything. But, but yeah, uh, I yeah, Wentworth, I, elite level prospect, and turned down the MLB to come to K State. That man is Ema through and through. Either that or the money wasn't there. But we'll say it was Ema through and through, regardless. Either I mean, at least I'm not gonna say at least, but he didn't. I'm not gonna say he's Ema through and through until he crosses home plate or gets on the mound. The first thing he does is throw horns down. True. Because that, that how are they going to penalize him in baseball? Give him a ball? Okay. I'll yeah. take a 1-0 count in exchange yeah. for taunting Texas, play- Texas players. You can't contain this man, Big 12 umps. Good luck. <laughs> cowards. Yeah, cowards. Do something about it. But uh, we're just going through a few of his recent performances. Uh, on March 21st, I uh, threw a no-hitter. Uh, March 21st of this year. Uh, he back in 2019 had a 13 strikeout game uh, in high school, uh, which is only seven innings. And then uh, just uh, two months ago to the day that we're recording this, which is July 16th, uh, had zero earned runs and zero walks allowed in a game. And all in all, he sounds like he's basically college ready. Jordan Wicks was college ready coming in here, and he started day one that he was at Kansas State. And it sounded like Wentworth might be the exact same way. And yeah. I'm excited for that. I am very, very excited for that. Yeah, and I, I think it's huge that we have 
three people listed consecutively that are all projected to, if not be first rounders, be very high draftees. And we've mentioned people coming in from high school, but now we've got people coming in from the transfer market, including Dominic Johnson, who was the standout player from Oklahoma State, who himself in his own right is projected to be drafted as a first rounder in the MOB draft within this next year. Not this year, but the following. And the fact that we're able to to get recruits on two fronts, especially in baseball, where attrition can come from a ton of different angles, not only the transfer portal, but maybe a shortage of scholarships, and also the MOB draft, getting people to transfer in and getting people to come in from high school is huge, especially people like Dominic Johnson who reasonably probably just could have stayed at Oklahoma State and kept his draft stock, but decides to come to K-State and play for Pete Hughes and the Wildcats. Yeah, instead, he came here. Uh, He's uh, another guy that's a perfect 10 rating uh, from Edmond, Oklahoma, originally. And as as we mentioned, he uh, was originally at Oklahoma State this past season uh, as a true freshman, and now he's here. And uh, he was 124th nationally ranked. So even higher than this Wentworth guy is coming in. And he was a fifth overall prospect in Oklahoma, which I believe Oklahoma is a pretty good baseball state. Uh, he's 5'9", 175, and is a, uh, he's an outfielder. And I'm really looking forward to uh, and to his, uh, his time at K-State. His 60-yard uh, uh, sprint or dash, 60-yard dash, it was a 6.22 seconds, which puts him – and, and get get this percent. Are you ready, Ace? Are you ready for his class percentile? Ninety nine point yes. eight nine percentile. <laughs> yeah, that fast. man is fast. He's, <laughs> he's fast. fast. Like, he is really really <laughs> fast. His arm is pretty good, but he is fast. And that that is something I'm really looking forward to because like we did have fast guys last year. Like we had a uh, uh, Blake Burrows. He was fast, but uh, he's not. He's not that he's not, he's not that fast that. he's not constructed alternatively like dominic johnson is <laughs> on the base paths i'm just ready for dominic johnson to bat first hit a little blooper single and then a like, first pitch immediately still second it's like, like basically it's gonna a, a lot this man's like hitting singles turning them into doubles immediately i'm sure is probably what's gonna happen i'm yeah. really looking forward to him i mean such a highly regarded prospect coming here i that I know a lot of people are skeptical of Pete Hughes and his uh, in-game management decisions, which like fair sometimes, but ultimately he's recruiting really good players and a manager in baseball. It's one of the least consequential head coaching positions in all sports. So even if he's not a great in-game manager, he's not going to lose a lot of games because of that. What he is going to do is win us a lot more games by the talent that he's bringing in, whether it be through a general high school recruiting or whether it be through uh, transfers. And Dominic Johnson, he's a guy that's coming in immediately. And I'm I'm very excited about him already. Uh, just like maybe I'm hyping myself up a little bit too much uh, about him, but I don't know. I, he, he seems like he has a, just a ton of potential. I'm really looking forward yeah. to it. And what would this show be without hyping up people? It'd be nothing, honestly. Like, I mean, in reckless optimism. I, like, like, I truly, I don't know. Uh, what else we would talk about like other than just like, random, like 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> just be pain. <laughs> agony, even. Yeah, just agony. There, there's one more person to mention who, while it may not be as rec- highly regarded as the first three, I still think can be a contributor. And that is transfer from the University of Arizona, Herman Ferrado Jr., who, again, pulling people from anywhere as a transfer, especially people that we think can contribute, like I think Herman can, is big. Is I, I believe he's a considered an infielder, specifically a second baseman, which I don't, not to name names, but I don't think defensively our second baseman could have been much worse. And it, it wasn't one specific person. It was just whoever was playing second base that day could not play the position. Yeah, especially, so he, especially early in the year. That was a tough, tough spot to be. Down atrocious. But even if he comes in as someone who's more of a defensive substitution or a defensive guy, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, like, that'd be totally fine. He uh, He's transferring in from Arizona, Herman Fajardo Jr., uh, he, I, I looked um, at his stats. All he had was a pitching outing. He's on his recruiting profile. He's a right-handed pitcher slash second baseman. So another one of those utility guys. Uh, I, I, what I'm seeing is that he was a 2019, <laughs> yeah, 2019 grad uh, out of high school. So he redshirted a year and then had a COVID season. And then this past year. So I believe he is now a sophomore. If I'm reading that correctly and hasn't played a ton but nevertheless, uh, we're pulling a recruit uh, from a Power 5 program in an area of the country that uh, has good baseball, like, like the, the Sun Belt. So I, I really like that. And I, I also like that we uh, are restocking our, our, our bullpen, if nothing else. I just have another guy uh, as I come in because I'm thinking of uh, bullpen names we have. Eckberg, I don't know if he's coming back or not. I haven't heard anything on that front. Wozniak transferred, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then uh, uh, we have a uh, Nico Rodriguez, uh, Jackson Passano. Uh, I see you looking around. I don't think you know those people. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it's a. Uh, um, I think I know Nico. I know Ni- Nico because I remember the name. Was, he was a true freshman this year, I believe, and he actually is pretty. Uh, promising i think i'm looking forward to see what he uh, develops into but we definitely um uh, are identifying our weak spots and going out and trying to fix that and I, i'm happy about that and this guy he's not a hard thrower at all at least based off of uh, his perfect game profile uh it may not be totally accurate because he isn't ranked on here anyways so it doesn't seem like he ever really got an evaluation from them so it's a, uh, eh, I, like we we don't I don't quite know what we're getting here, unfortunately, just not enough information. But if Arizona thought he's good enough to be there, he's good enough for me. So yeah, uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, and I think that that pretty well sums up just what I was gonna say as well. So even though we had a lot of people leave through baseball, we also brought in a few people and people <laughs> that if not would have been drafted in an expanded draft, have MOB potential. And that, that kind of wraps up the, the actual news segment of today's show. So if you're just here for, for the news, you might as we got really nothing more for you. 
because we're going to go with the wacky segment of the week. And unfortunately, it is not something to do with Kansas State sports. It's not another Reggie Stubblefield legacy, even though his grandfather is apparently the person who made Stubbs barbecue sauce. What <laughs> has this man and his family not done? They, they do no. everything. No, this is the story of how earlier today, I, Ace Edwards, got bit by an owl of all things to get bit by in the middle of Kansas, or rather the corner of Kansas, I get bit by an owl. That sounds like a great story, Ace. You should you should tell us that. <laughs> no, that's the story. No. Um, so I woke up today, this about the same time I always wake up, and I think I'm gonna have a I think I'm gonna have a pretty normal morning. I wake up, my dogs are are inside. I pet my dogs, and I look at my father, and my father says, "Hey, did you see what's in the backyard?" I responded with no. And lo, what was revealed to me in the backyard was going to be the bane of my existence for the next two hours. This was an owl. Not just any owl. It was an owl that could not fly and was hurt in the backyard. Well, he couldn't fly away. He could do like little hops and hover for a little while. And I felt really bad for this little guy. So I wanted to kind of get him out of my backyard so I could figure out what to do with him afterwards because my dogs go in the backyard and there's a solid chance. My dogs are very large dogs. Connor can confirm. They are massive. They... It is a St. Bernard and a Malamute. Chunk is the biggest dog I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And their name Chunk is the St. Bernard and Casey is the Malamute. And I know that these dogs are going to, destroy this animal's existence if they somehow go out and interact with it so and even if they don't if it goes the other way i don't want my dogs getting hurt so this falls to me to get this owl out of my backyard operation night owl began in earnest with me grabbing a pair of gloves and just kind of trying to shoo it away I opened the gate to my backyard and it initially was not very angry with me. It was clearly just kind of chilling in the backyard. Either that or it was too stressed out to fly away, which understandable his wings were clearly hurt. And, you know, I'm just trying to kind of shoo the little guy out of the backyard so he doesn't get hurt and I can figure out what to do with him later. He's not having any of it. He just keeps going to the corners of the yard. And I don't want to do anything that might damage him. So after about 45 minutes of just trying to shoo him, I decide Operation Night Owl version 1.0 was a failure. So I began Operation Night Owl 2.0, in which I decided that I'm going to try and shoo him with a large pink towel. So I would just kind of blow the towel on this guy and I would hope that he would slowly work his way to the open gate and walk out. Unfortunately, this operation similarly failed and I looked like an absolute moron in front of my neighbor who looked at me, made direct eye contact with me, and just saw this five foot nine man holding a towel that was taller than him 
that was bright pink in a backyard trying to shoe I can't I don't know if he saw an owl but he just shot, saw me waving this towel so not only does my finger hurt now because of what happens later my neighbor probably thinks I'm a crazy person so this fails to work and operation night owl 3.0 begins where I say I'm clearly not going to be able to move this guy of his own volition so I had this point removed my gloves the first critical error that I made in this operation was I had removed my leather gloves that were the only thing protecting my hands from a creature who literally is capable of crushing mouse skulls and does it to consume its food. First critical error, followed by the second critical error. I let it learn what I was doing because I missed the towel throw three times before... I managed to get the towel over the owl. And on the fourth time, lo and behold, I was able to cover it up. And he seemed relatively calm. He seemed okay with this because I didn't throw it over him. I just kind of placed it over him. This was a mirage. This was intentional deceit by this demon that was in my backyard in order to lull me into a false sense of security so that he could take a good bite out of my finger, and then proceed to hold on for at least two or three seconds. And it was at this point that I charged inside, and the first thing that I said to my father was, I'm going to kill it. I did not kill it. Luckily, for the sake of this animal's life, I did not kill it. I just went inside for 30 minutes, cleaned out my wound, and then I decided to leave him alone. Now, an important part of this story, and a happy ending for this story. You notice how I never mentioned closing the gate to the backyard? Yeah. Yeah, he just walked out. Two hours later, he looked at the open gate. Walked out. Everything I did was completely and utterly pointless. Because this owl, this demon, walked out of its my backyard of its own volition. You see, I don't think it was pointless, Ace. Because ultimately, I think it was the long con, and it just for took, the owl, for you to to get the owl to leave. I think that it just took two hours for the fear to settle into the owl's minuscule, tiny brain <laughs> and calculate its next action. And, and the next action was leaving. <laughs> yes. So ultimately, I think he won this battle of wits. That that's my that's my my positive interpretation on it. Yeah. I, my negative one is that you got bitten by an owl for no reason. Yeah. I. The negative one is I got outsmarted by an owl. I don't think you got outsmarted. I think you outsmarted yourself, if anything. I played myself uh, because I decided to, I made the simple mistake of caring about an animal. I made the mistake of not wanting to do what most Americans would do when they see an injured animal that could harm their dogs in their backyard. What most Americans will do is they will find the nearest shovel and or shotgun and it will turn that owl into paste. I decided to take the higher road. 
and lo and behold, my finger hurts. And if he bit me on anywhere except the tip of my finger, he probably would have broke my finger. So, moral of the story, don't pick up owls. Don't. It's a bad idea. I had no idea they were so dangerous. They're very dangerous, and they hurt a lot. Don't get bit by one, especially. I wonder That's like the number one lesson. If you take nothing away from today's show, don't get bit by owls. It hurts a lot. I wonder why their stereotype is that they're so wise. Because you think a wise owl Athena. would have attempted to negotiate with you first. Athena. Right? Uh, like, like before you like got the towel, it would have like, pointed its uh, wing out at you and been like, hold on, good sir. Before he oh, takes pointed some, his wing at me. Before, oh, he pointed his wing at me. Before we take such rash actions, let's let's hash this out. Like, like let uh, us negotiate. Like, like enlightened individuals. Let's let's say trade deal. You open gate for me. I stop bothering. I you. leave. I leave and <laughs> never return. That that was an acceptable trade deal for both parties. I think. However. This owl did not take advantage of the negotiation window that opened itself up and instead chose violence. So Well the worst part is is that I I would like I was doing you know things that they always do on the uh like the animal behavior shows to to like calm an animal down. Like, you know, you get on their level, you make it clear, you always show them your hands to make sure that, you know, they know that you're not gonna do anything to them. Yeah, th- no, this little this little guy was 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 very he was not having it he was not having this and he seemed calm the entire time you know and the moment that i put this towel on him he decides to spring a trap on me he booby trapped his own beak and then proceeded to take a chunk out of my middle left hand finger he fell for one of the classic blunders trusting an owl yes obviously fair enough (laughs) (laughs) so that pretty well concludes today's show and as much as my finger hurts right now it doesn't well it hurts worse than the reality of us both being college students and as though as much as we love this show and we will 100% do it for free like we have been doing mm-hmm. every bit of financial support that you can give whether it be through buying merch in the future or donating through the link on our bio our bio on our Spotify and Apple Music any dollar that you can give no matter how small will go directly into either the show or us living and if it goes into the show that's more time with film study, more recording dates, more time to research certain things, et cetera, et cetera. And, but the most important thing is thank you so much for listening to two guys talk about what they love talking about the most. And that is Kansas state sports. Be sure to, if you have any questions, send us an email at AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AggievilleACats capital A, capital C in cats, but two capital A's and capital C in cats. And be sure to, you know, just keep listening to us because we really appreciate it. And if you want to follow us personally, I'm at AC Edwards 00 on Twitter. 
And the wonderful Connor Balthazar will now give you his social medias. Yeah, I'm at Connor Balthazar, capital C, capital B. That's that's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it. And thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, or in my case, a nearly broken finger, we're here to give to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Thank you for listening, and good day and good night. See ya.